Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens in the studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. And across the desk from me is Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan. Pleasure to be here again this evening. Yes. Before we resume our topic from last week, Pastor, I just wanted to share a few quotes from an article that I came across the other day. The article is dated October 24th, 2018. And the title is Faith Leaders to Bless Abortion Clinic. Accessing and Providing Abortions Are Godly Decisions. And a few quotes from the article. Faith leaders will be gathering next month for a clinic blessing, a blessing of an abortion clinic in Columbus, Ohio. Anti-abortion advocates do not have the monopoly on faith or God. The notice of Planned Parenthood from the greater Ohio area reads, Many faith leaders and people of faith hold that accessing and providing abortions are good, godly decisions, another individual stated. Abortion clinic blessings have happened in the past and at least once before in Ohio. In 2017, more than 20 faith leaders blessed a Planned Parenthood facility in Washington, D.C., which led the CEO of Washington metro area Planned Parenthood to say, this confirms the sacredness of the work that we do. Pastor Murphy, is there any hope for the world that we live in if people who are self-proclaimed baby killers are celebrating that religious people are blessing them? Uh, but Nathan, it's part of the confusion that we have in our current time. We're living in an age where there's such a departure from the faith and when the Christian church should be taking a very firm stand on major issues like uh, being pro-life, etc., and there's a complete compromise. A lot of it is politically motivated. Those who are in, in bed with political parties that hold the abortion agenda. And that's one of the great tragedies of our time. Uh, but there's always hope because uh, God gives hope, the Bible gives hope. And so long as you have God's people dwelling on planet Earth, uh, remember that he would not have destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah if he had found ten. And there are a lot more uh, saints today on earth. But we need not, need not be discouraged. What we need to pray for is some kind of a spiritual revival, renewal in the church, and uh, the complete uh, um, exposure of the apostate church so that they can be identified and get uh, people of God really, really uh, pumped up about serving God, living for God, and uh, holding to biblical truth and to Scripture. I have a question that came in via email from a listener in Canada last week. And, Pastor, the question is, 
Is it true that Pentecostals and Adventists came out of the Baptist Church and that they rebelled against the Baptist form of worship? Uh, it is true that the um, Seventh-day Adventists uh, actually came out of a Baptist minister who started the Seventh-day Adventist movement. His name was William Miller. Uh, he is one of those people that got uh, became the major proponents of this large return. And he made some prophecies about the Lord's return, 1934, and the Lord did not return. Then it was changed uh, to October, and the Lord did not return. Miller was man enough to admit that he had made a mistake, and he left the Seventh-day Adventist movement. But that's where it initially started, by um, an ex-Baptist pastor who um, pushed the Second Advent of Christ and set dates and then faced the disappointment that the days that he said were wrong. As far as the Pentecostals are concerned, the Pentecostalism came out of the Wesleyan holiness movement, and the person who is prominent uh, starting that movement is a guy called Charles Fox Parham. Um, He started a school in Bethel, Bible school in Topeka, Kansas, and um, in 1901, one of his students started speaking in tongues, a woman called Agnes Osmond, and that is where the Pentecostal movement really started. So it's not really out of the Baptist or the Pentecostal, but the Seventh-day Adventist, uh, the person who originally started that movement, was uh, an ex-Baptist pastor. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of That's Truth. And we're going to be continuing the topic that we started last week, a series on cults and new religions. And in the episode last week, Pastor Murphy shared a lot of information with us about cults in general. He started out by defining what a cult is, uh, explaining that it's not a new challenge for the Christian church. He explained some characteristics of the cults, why people are drawn to follow cults, techniques that the cults are using to attract and keep people. And Pastor, to wrap up that conversation or to transition toward uh, our conversation tonight, I've got a couple of questions for you. First of all, what can we as Bible-believing Christians, born-again believers, what can we learn from the cults? There are several things that we can learn from the cults, and I do hope that the Christian church is taking note of and the cult and what they do, and uh, there are always things that we can learn, uh, even from those who are contrary to Scripture. There may be methods that they're using, techniques that they're using that might be used within the church. Uh, let me just share a few thoughts with you in terms of what we can learn uh, from the cults. One of the things that we can learn is the uh, matter of having definite convictions about what you believe. And what I mean by that is when you meet a cult person, they can turn a Christian almost into a doctrinal pretzel because they know the Bible so well. And often believers, when they're confronted by cultic uh, teaching or cultic doctrine, uh, they're so overwhelmed, they don't seem to be able to provide answers as the cult can because he's been trained in how to respond, what questions, how to respond to questions, and and what uh, Bible text to use. Uh, He has tremendous conviction about what he believes. He speaks with authority. And um, uh, sad to say, many, many Christians crumble when they're faced with a, a cult uh, person who seem to be able to handle the Scriptures. That's one thing we need to have very firm conviction of what we believe. But have firm conviction of what we believe, we must know what we actually believe by having a, a grasp of the Scriptures, and especially knowing our doctrines and our teaching. And the other thing uh, that goes along with that, of course, is the importance of, of having texts and knowing the Bible very well. 
one of the things that you will find that is very common with, with, with cults is that they're able to take you to references and quote scriptures, and they have their support data uh, at their fingertips. And they can tell you what verse, what text, etc. Uh, often with a believer, um, he doesn't seem to have that, that measure of grasp, and therefore he is very hesitant and very uncertain, and that seemed to give the cult victory. Third thing is the zeal in witnessing. There's no doubt about that. That's a thing that we can learn. I, I do not know of anybody who's not impressed with the zeal that the um, JW, for example, manifest. Uh, almost every Saturday, you can see them pounding the tar, going from house to house, visiting. Uh, they conduct all kinds of Bible studies during the week. Uh, they have tremendous zeal, and uh, they want to reach the people, and the church has failed in that regard. We've put a sign telling the people come to us, the cults are going to the people rather than uh, expecting them to come to them. And I think that's a great weakness of the church. And let me just remind you, the first person that reached the, the individual has got an advantage. Uh, and I think, that, again, that's where our failure is, that we, we reach them where after they've been inculcated, indoctrinated in cultic teachings, and then it becomes so much more difficult to try to unravel that. So it's important to get to uh, the witness. And then uh, the effective use of the printed page. Mm. Uh, they uh, use literature, um, and it's one of the, the main means of evangelizing and the main means of getting the, their teachings out. They use magazines, they use tracts, um, they use uh, different methods of, of, of um, tools of Bible study, but the literature, the amount of literature, um, the statistics are just staggering. Uh, for example, uh, 1.4 billion um, of the uh, Watchtower is done every every year. Um, another uh, seven million of them are active, going house to house. And then they do 6.3 million Bible studies a year. Uh, that those figures are staggering. Uh, so clearly they're using the the media, they're using the the printed page, and I think that the church needs to learn that. Uh, and then the another thing that's important is the sense of urgency that seems to characterize these people. Now we know that there are faults in what they teach. We know that they distort the truth. We know that they teach perversion. Uh, we know that, but yet they uh, are deeply, deeply concerned about reaching you, and they have a sense of urgency that the church doesn't seem to have, and believers don't seem to have. And uh, this this comes across very clearly in the evangelistic work. And then the other thing is the large role that they assign to the lay person. Uh, most churches assign a, a prominent role to the pastor, but they get the lay people, the average man in the pew, involved in, in ministry, in, in doing Bible studies. It's not restricted just to the pastor, the youth pastor, or, or, or a few people, the deacons. They try to get every single member engaged in some kind of activity where they're involved in reaching people for Christ. And then the um, the sense of dedication that they have. Um, they're willing to sacrifice their Saturdays rather than be at the beach or, or going some other place. Uh, that clearly, that act of, of, of sacrifice is very, very clear. And then they also are trained in, in very specific techniques in witnessing. Uh, they are trained how to meet objections when you raise an objection. They already know where you're coming from. They've already been prepared to have verses to counteract what you're saying. Um, they already know what method to use if they are insulted or if they are in any way uh, feel persecuted. They know how to respond to any aggression that you might display. And um, they also uh, are very adept of, of, of using Bible studies. 
And then the willingness on their part to endure ridicule. Um, I do not know how many Jehovah's Witnesses go to house every time people see that they're there. Uh, they either tell them that they they've got another church, they're, they're, they're not interested. Um, they might even use some pejorative terms that are not pleasant. But they keep coming, they keep coming, they keep coming. It's not as though that they are, they don't seem to fear uh, persecution or, or being somehow um, made fun of or somehow being ridiculed. Uh, to them, that's like a badge of pride that they carry because they're suffering for Christ, they're suffering for the cause of Christ. And I think that that willingness uh, of endurance of ridicule, I think that's another valuable uh, thing that we can learn uh, from them. So those are just uh, about five or six things I've just mentioned that we can learn from the cults. There are others, but I think those are substantial. You were referencing the fact that they know when they meet opposition where you're probably coming from when you bring up a certain verse. Why is it that we as the Christians aren't that prepared? Is it a lack of training from the churches? Is it a lack of training from the the Bible schools that train the pastors who are then training the churches? Is it a laziness? What's the reason? I think a part of the deficit is poor mentoring. I have mentioned mm-hmm. that on, on different occasions that the, we have not been mentoring people who have come to faith in Christ. We, we get them converted, but then we pretty much leave them on their own to, to find their way through. Um, the JW have a systematic way of training the people and making sure that they're preparing them for the reality of life when they're doing witnessing. So they do a lot of training, a lot of studies are done to prepare um, um, how to approach people, how to respond to people um, when they say things that are unpleasant. Uh, again, verses of Scripture, if the person raised this, this is where you go to. That's all pre-programmed, pre-indoctrinated, well, well thought out in terms of how they're going to witness to you. And that's why they seem so scholarly in terms of having Bible knowledge. And that's where a lot of Christians feel very let down because they're not, they don't have that competence. I think part of it is the fail of the church. If we recognize this, what the cults are doing and they're very successful, again, we should learn uh, even from them. We've got to be wise as serpents, uh, innocent as dubs, but that doesn't mean we can't learn from them. So I think part of it is the church has not been doing the kind of job that they do in terms of mentoring and training their people uh, to face the world. So a natural question that comes out of that, if they're prepared and they respond as a well-prepared individual, how should we respond and deal with the cults as believers? Well, if we are going to deal with the cults, uh, there are a few things that we, we, we need to do as, um, as Christians. Uh, when you're dealing with them, um, you've got to realize that in most cases that when they use verses, they're going to use it out of context. Okay. So one of the great things that the Christian has got to learn is always to take the passage that the cult use and bring him back to the, the context. Just don't take an isolated verse that he quotes or that he uses with you. Look at what has come before, what has gone after, and especially uh, remember that every every word has a sentence. Every sentence has a paragraph. Every paragraph has a section. Every section is within the book. Every book is within the general context of the Scripture. So you're going to have to understand that one of the tremendous weapons that you have in dealing with cultic issues and distortions is the weapon of using the context of the passage. Always 
don't take what they're saying, just say, let's read what's come before, what's come after. That, in most cases, would help clear up a lot of the misinterpretations and the misapplication of the Bible verses. Would you, would you allow them to read out of their version of the Bible, or would you only deal with a cult follower if they, if you're, if you have common ground like you talked about last I, time, I think it's going to be very difficult to deal with any cult unless you can agree on a common, a common source. And generally speaking, uh, whether it be the JW or the the others, you've got to get a, a common source, and so it's got to be your Bible. And in most cases, they will tell you to accept the Bible. The problem comes is that when your 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 Bible, which is normally your King James version or the New English version, whatever seem to conflict with what they're teaching, then they seem to run to their version. And that's where the problem comes in. But you cannot start a conversation with a cult unless you have a, a, a basis on which to argue, because basically you're dealing with truth. And that's where the Word of God comes in. So you must agree at some point that this would be a reference that decides what, what, what you accept and what you don't accept. So you've got to have a common ground as far as that's concerned. So um, the other thing is the uh, you've got to have some clear understanding of, 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 of hermeneutical principles, how you interpret the Bible. Uh, Christians need to need to grasp those principles to help uh, in terms of helping people to understand the Bible. And then it would be helpful uh, if a person has some idea of how to exegete a text. Uh, and this sometimes is e- made easier for us because we can get interlinear. What do you mean by exegete a text? Well, when you exegete a text, it means that you've got to find out what the text actually means. And to find out what it actually means is not only using the principles of hermeneutics. You've got to understand grammar. Why is the noun the, uh, in this particular location? Uh, what kind of verb is it? Um, is it perf- what kind of tense is it? What kind of mood is it? What is the syntax? How the words arranged? Does that have any significance? Why does it have a, um, a definite article here and not a, a, an indefinite article here? The, just like any other, you can't teach English. You can't read English until you understand English grammar. You cannot appreciate what the words in a sentence mean unless you understand the grammar. And that's why it's important uh, sometimes to have some grasp, basically, of the Greek language or the Hebrew language uh, if it becomes a matter of contest as to what the verse exactly means. This is where you need to to be able to do that. Um, I think those are three things that you, you need to have. And then I would add to that you need to have some song knowledge of, of Bible doctrines because the, the, the problem that you're having with the cult is a conflict about... Um, okay, let me just stick with you. We have a caller on the air from Antigua. Mr. Samuel, go ahead. Yes, sir. Good night. Good night. Good night, sir. Well, I have been listening to your, your um, you from since last week for a, a while. And personally, I do not appreciate in your call or the church's cult because I mean everybody is going towards the kingdom of God and then if the one that you is saying that is not cult they're not getting up to win souls and those that are not cult is going out there to win souls so I do not appreciate it and personally I'm a Sunday Adventist and I don't appreciate in calling my church a cult because if you're going to call me cult, I have to see the way and the light that I can go. I'm not walking in no darkness. I'm walking in light. And if he have the light, he's supposed to let it shine instead of burying the light. You want my response to that? 
Yeah, well, what a cult is basically is a deviation from any major um, uh, Christian Orthodox position. Um, whether um, the Jehovah's Witness clearly is a cult, because they don't believe in hell, they don't believe in um, they don't believe in the atonement of Christ in terms of uh, the biblical concept of the propitiation of Jesus Christ. Uh, they don't believe in um, that Jesus Christ is God. Uh, they don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, all of those are, are uh, deviant doctrines that they hold to, so they would be considered a cult. Uh, there are other groups uh, that would be considered cult. At one time, the Seventh Adventist was considered a cult. Uh, Dr. Martin uh, has redefined them because the Seventh Adventists have come up with their own doctrinal statement. But if you go back into the history of Seventh Day Adventism, uh, clearly they held to some positions that were clearly spurious. But that has been redacted and changed, and they, they've come out now with their own doctrinal statement that's far more in line with Orthodox Christian teaching. And therefore, that label has substantially been removed from the Adventist Church. But that doesn't mean that the Adventist Church doesn't hold the things that are, are clearly uh, unscriptural. You, you believe in soul sleep. Uh, the Bible doesn't teach soul sleep. That is a, a false doctrine, uh, clearly. Uh, uh, I do not know if you believe if you believe this, but uh, there are those of you uh, who believe that people who worship on Sunday will receive the mark of the beast, and they believe that keeping the law is mandatory as a means of uh, eternal life and salvation. Now I don't know if you particularly believe in that brand, but that's what's been taught for many many years. So that's why it has been labeled in that direction. But my our job is to. Is to with Scripture, and if something is contrary to Scripture, to show where it is wrong, where it is false. We're dealing in the realm of truth. We know that we've got different interpretations, but there are some interpretations that clearly are outside the pale of Christianity, and those ought to be pointed out uh, to the public. And outside of the pale of Christianity, you're talking about outside of Scripture. Of Scripture. Yeah. Of Scripture. Uh, um, it doesn't matter if a, a group has a particular extra-biblical source of authority. I'm not dealing with that. Um, if that extra-biblical source of authority takes us outside the realm of Scripture, they're clearly false as well because they're going contrary to Scripture. There's only one source of truth, and that is God's Word. And uh, any other source outside Scripture is false. And uh, that's my position as a Christian minister. That's the position of Christian believers, and it should be, because uh, clearly uh, God's Word is complete. Um, it's infallible. It's inspired. And um, it is sufficient for us in terms of life and, and faith and, um, and godly living. Would you agree with the statement that was made early on in that question? And by the way, Mr. Samuel, thank you for calling. Mm -hmm. uh, we do appreciate your, your input and your concern. Uh, Pastor, he referenced something to the effect of that all the churches are working toward the kingdom of God. That's not true either. That's not true at all, because certainly the um, take. Well, I don't know. He said all the churches. I I don't want to put words in all his mouth. religions or churches. I I believe it was all churches. Okay, or these churches. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. I mean, look, what we've got to do is to understand that there the Bible is our guide, and uh, not every church is falling in line with Scripture. Uh, there are churches that have deviant views on different aspects of the doctrine. Uh, we happen to be uh, the Baptists and believe in the Baptist faith. Uh, we hold strongly to Scripture. But where there is a deviant teaching on a particular biblical doctrine that we think is significantly important, that ought to be pointed out. I, I, I think that 
um, the charge at every single church. And again, it depends on what you call church, because the the Jeda consider themselves a Christian church. I don't know if you know that, but they're not a Christian church. And they're not pointing anybody to the kingdom of God, because if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God and, and you don't believe in the atonement of Jesus Christ, I don't care who you are. You ain't getting to heaven. You're not getting to any kingdom. You'll be lost eternally. So the idea that everybody is putting the same direction is a false, false statement. All right. And we do really appreciate that call. And if you have a call or a question and you would like to call and ask Pastor uh, what the Bible says on a particular topic or a particular question, we invite you to call one two six eight four six two seventy four twenty. One two six eight four six two seventy four twenty, or if you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, we can do that also. And the number for that is one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. Pastor, uh, you were sharing some different ways of how to deal with cults, and you mentioned making sure that they're in context and the hermeneutical uh, approach, and then exeg- Jesus. exegesis. Exegesis. Uh-huh. Uh, go ahead. No, I also mentioned that you should have a song doctrine, uh, b- song understanding of biblical doctrines. Um, most of the issues that you're going to face with cults has to do build the wrong doctrine. But if you yourself don't understand the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of atonement, the doctrine of the second coming, the doctrine of hell, um, even the doctrine of baptism, what it's all about, uh, you don't have a basis on which to deal with people, argue with people. So you have to have a solid background, at least in biblical theology, at least try to get a grasp of the biblical doctrines, especially those fundamental doctrines that are the core and the heart of Christianity. I think that is vitally important. Uh, and then the other thing is you should be acquainted with their literature. We have another caller on the air uh, from Belmont, Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead. Good evening to um, uh, Radio Lighthouse, I mean, the panel and the listeners. Good evening. Pastor Murphy? Yes, sir. Um, so ever since I've been listening to you, right, I I agree that less than 90% of the things you've said. That's how much I agree with you, okay? Now, none of us are perfect and none of us know it all, right? So we are about each one, each one, and we learn from each other, right? Correct. On, on, the, top, on the topic of cult, right, mm-hmm. what I'd like you to do, and for the listeners, if it is possible before the show is over, if it is possible for you to bring up the, the, the meaning of the word cult from a dictionary perspective or point of view, right? Is it possible for you to do that? Because last week when I listened to you, you said, um, you, you gave a name of a person who you said, um, gave the interpretation or the meaning of the word cult. But what I did, I have a, um, a Collins Dictionary, right? And I looked up the word cult in the Collins Dictionary. And basically what it says is, um, a person or a group of persons who are devoted to a particular cause, especially in the form of religious worship. Mm-hmm. A person or persons or organization, organization who is devoted to a particular cause, especially in the form of religious worship. That's, that's what my dictionary gave me um, to, to simplify it, right? Yeah. Therefore, if, it, if that's correct, then a cult can cultivate um, good principles, good manners, good work, yeah. as well as it can cultivate evil work like dabbling into the occult. That's where OCCULT comes in, and dabbling into the occult is things like witchcraft, 
Voodoo and palm reading, nostalgia, and astronomy, etc., right? Yeah. So if you could um, bring it up from a dictionary point of view, and then um, continue explanation. Okay. Because so, the call can cultivate good, and it can cultivate, you know what I mean, bad things, you know? Have a good night. Good night, thank you. Look, let me just give you a simple definition as far as I'm concerned. Um, remember that definitions vary depending on the person who's doing the interpretation. But generally speaking, the cults are perceived as a groups who have gone away or deviated from some central, major, uh, orthodox Christian position. That is substantially what you discuss, the, the, uh, a cult. Um, um, so it, it has to do with the deviation from biblical truth, some particular biblical truth. It is true that a cult is built around a person, around a set of beliefs. That is also true. But our definition of dealing with cults really has to do with the a major deviation from some biblical teaching, some biblical doctrine. Uh, that is what we mean by uh, a cultic group. And there are several people who have done extensive work on this matter. Uh, Dr. Walter Martin, for example, who is now deceased, uh, he has done a phenomenal job. He has written a book called The Kingdom of the Cults. Um, that in itself, um, he gives his own definition, but he also goes through different beliefs, et cetera, et cetera. There are others. Uh, Norman Geisler has got one on, uh, on the cults as well. Josh McDowell has got one on the cults as well. Uh, Reed has got one on the cults as well. And then Ron Rhodes has got several on the cults as well. So... Um, but our definition here basically has to do with a major deviation from Orthodox Christianity and where a group is built around an individual and has special uh, beliefs that go away from the Christian faith or deviate from the Orthodox Christian Christianity. That's what we, how we would describe a, a cult. Let me just clarify, Pastor. You're not saying that these other organizations that you're labeling as a cult are doing no social good or societal good. You're saying that from a spiritual standpoint, yeah. they are misinterpreting or perverting truth and misleading souls. Look, even even uh, I can't think of a religious group that doesn't do something good. I mean, you want to take the if you take the Baha'i faith, if you take the Christian uni unity, if you take uh, even the JW, if you take the Seven Adventists, if you take Baptists, if you take, I can't think of any religious group that's not doing some kind of a social. But that's not the point. Yeah. The issue at hand here has to do with: Are they in line with biblical principles? Have they gone deviated from biblical truth? Are the doctrines correct? And if the doctrine is not correct, which doctrine is at variance? with the Orthodox Christian position. That is what we're, we're talking about when we're dealing with cults. They do a, a lot of good things, there's no question about that. The question is, is their teaching correct? For example, uh, when a man dies, does his soul, body just, does it just sleep? He just disappear. When a man, when God judge him, is he going to be annihilated? I mean, those are major issues that the Bible deals with. Well, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, is their trinity. Uh, how does a person get saved? What's the benefit of baptism? Uh, all of those are issues that we need to be concerned about. Uh, is the Holy Spirit a person? Is he a thing? What's his ministry? Uh, is the Bible the inspired Word of God? Which is the correct translation? Is a translation that a cult is using or a group is using, is it a, a distortion? Uh, is it deviant from the, the Greek language or the Hebrew language? Is it misleading people? Is there any Greek scholars in the world that would verify that this is an authentic translation? All of those are issues that need... Because we are in a battle about deception. Uh, 
we're in a battle about truth. And that becomes central when we're dealing with... So because a person is religious, because you've got a religious group, uh, we have to be very, very careful that we make sure that that religious group is falling in line with the biblical teaching on these matters. If they're not, we have a right to explain to the public. We need to expose it. And then we need to give where the biblical teaching is. So that's basically what we're trying to do. And if you have just joined listening to That's Truth over the last uh, few months... When we first started out this program in the beginning of January of 2018, the first couple of episodes were focused on truth and whether there's absolute truth and what is the source of absolute truth and that uh, the only unchangeable source of truth is God's Word. Pastor, I'm going to throw it back to you again. You were talking about the importance of having some biblical theology understanding when dealing with the cults. Yeah. Uh, you cannot um, deal with um, any cult or any group, any religious group, unless you have a firm understanding of, of biblical theology. Uh, if you do not know about the nature of God and the person of God, if you do not know the person of Jesus Christ, the person of the Holy Spirit, how are you going to deal with the cultic deviations from these matters? For example, the one that we'll deal with t- uh, tonight somewhere is the fact that they, they take the the, um, the JW. They do not consider the Holy Spirit to be a person. He's a force. He's an influence. Is that biblical or is that unscriptural? Uh, if the Holy Spirit is not a person, uh, clearly it, it puts that group outside the pale of conversion because the Holy Spirit is his main instrument of conversion. It's he that does the convicting. So if he's not a person, he can't convict. Uh if he can't comfort, uh, that creates a major issue. So to, that's not a small matter for a Christian. That's a major issue as far as the person, Holy Spirit. That's why you need to have some background in uh, understanding theological truth and doctrines in order to deal with the cultic groups. Is there anything else that we need to have besides the context and uh, interpreting the scripture properly in a biblical theology understanding. And I mentioned that you should at least read some of the literature of the cult, because again, uh, you need clarity as to what they really believe. Cults are using the language of the Bible, but they're injecting their own interpretation of the Bible. So they're talking about Christ, but it's not the same Christ you're talking about. They're talking about God, but it's not the same God you're dealing with. They're talking about the atonement, but it's not the same atonement we're talking about. So they are using language, same language we, we've got. They've got the same jargon we've got. They use the same cliches that we use, but they have injected their own meaning into those words. So in reading the literature, it helps you to get clarity as far as what they really teach on these, these t- different types of matters. And uh, it's hard to deal with a, a group if you don't read the literature to find out what you're dealing with. Other than that, you're speaking in a vacuum. You're listening to That's Truth, and the voice that you're hearing is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Unless you think that he is just someone who came and sat down behind a microphone and is just speaking his opinion, I just want to share some of, your, some of his credentials with you. It's been a while since I did this. He has a Bachelor of Arts degree in English, a Bachelor of Arts degree in Theology, a Master's degree in Religion, Doctorate degree in Counseling, Ongoing Studies with the Blackford Counseling Center in England. Uh, if you know Pastor Murphy, you know that he is constantly reading and studying and absorbing uh, information from uh, many good authors. He's been married for over 36 years. He was a public school teacher for four years. He knows what it's like to be in the, the workplace uh, 
where you're working. Uh, he was in management for three years, marketing for four years. He was also involved in evangelism in Barbados for two years. And he's been ministering and pastoring and counseling in St. Vincent, St. Lucia, and Antigua for over 30 years. He's preached in many churches throughout the Eastern Caribbean over that time period. Time Across the Eastern Caribbean is 807. And if you have a question, you can call uh, 1-268-462-7420. Or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. Pastor Murphy, we have another caller that has called to ask you a question. Go ahead. Yes, Pastor Murphy. I, I was Samuel calling back again. Yes. I, I quite understand that um, I don't have much money in my phone. I have the call back. I quite understand you you're talking about theology and stuff like that. But I'm led by the Holy Spirit. You know, I don't have this big education in theology. But I believe personally, if you look from Genesis to Revelation, right? Mm hmm. There's no way you can say that the Seventh-day Adventists do not preach the Bible and do not accept the Bible for what the Bible is. I can't understand. You say, but they will be witness because I myself, I do not preach some of their teaching, mm -hmm. but I would not condone them. You understand? Yeah. I would not condone them. But you look, and you look around the whole entire world universe mm -hmm. about the Seventh-day Adventists, and the Seventh-day Adventists have to have some truth while the church is growing. Some truth while that church grows. Yeah, no, let me just respond to you very quickly. There's no doubt that the Seventh Adventist uh, does a tremendous amount of work, but there are some deviant doctrines that conflict with what the Bible teaches. For example, soul sleep. The matter of um, you do not believe in eternal punishment as well. Uh, those are issues. You, you, you believe in that the law is mandatory, that people must keep the law. Uh, no, well, no, no. The law, you're saved by grace. Yeah. You understand? We always talking, you're saved by grace. But now, if there's no law, there's no grace. Yeah, if but... Let me add something to you now. Yeah. If there's no law, anybody can go there and do anything, aren't it? No, we, no we, 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 let me just tell you this. My church, if where we are, I'm a Baptist. Right. I always say, I preach, I'm preaching through the book of Romans. And I've actually told them that one of the biggest mistakes we make today is that we don't preach law. Because a, a person, my point is this, we preach so much love that the world throws it back at us until a man understands that God is holy. He's not ready to know about God's love as yet. So it, we're actually defeating ourselves in the process. Love is the final card that we use. It's a trump card. We must bring a man under so much conviction he understands he's broken God's law, he's under God's judgment, and now he cries out, what must I do? Then we point to Jesus Christ on the cross, who is a display of God's love. The mistake we, we make all the time that we've forgotten the law. Now, in our church, I've emphasized this, that the biggest mistake, the Bible says that if there's no law, there's no sin. So we cannot convict people of sin by ignoring the law. But the point is this, whether you have, well, <laughs> tell me that that's a change over the years, okay? We are not saying that you have to keep the law in order for you to go to heaven. Because there are going to be people who do not keep the law with the answer into the kingdom Yes, now I understand. That's your position. I, that's my position as well. Adventist said, in order for you to go to heaven, you must keep the law. No. But if you're Christ-like, person, uh -huh. and you knew that the law has to be maintained, you do what God says. That is my point. Yeah, yeah. So, no, 
we, we don't have a dispute there. We don't have a dispute there. But where we would have a dispute is on other other areas. For example, we don't believe that the Bible says absent from the body is present with the Lord. Jesus said that God is not the God of the dead, it's the God of the living. In other words, man doesn't. When a man dies, he's not dead. That's the point he's making there. No. God is not the God of. The, anyhow, look, we we will come to deal with the those issues sometime in the, in the future. I appreciate what you're saying, and I hope that you're not. I'm not saying that they're not people in the. Look, I believe this. I believe the people in almost in every almost every church, every Christian church, that are genuinely saved people. But the point we've got to make uh, understand is this: that we will differ on uh, different interpretation, we differ on doctrine. Uh, yes, we that will, is what we happens. Will. Right. We will. Yeah, but not everybody. Believe you me, not everybody is out there uh, preaching the, the gospel as as, as intended. Um, there's no gospel within the, the JW. There's absolutely no gospel. There's no belief in the atonement. Uh, there's no belief that Jesus Christ is God. Well, I know they have the different interpretations of certain things. Yeah, yeah. But I will see would not condone them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, then. Thank okay, you. then. Thank you. Mr. Samuel, thank you very much for that call. I appreciate it. And I hope that you can uh, stay tuned. I don't know how soon we'll get to the Seventh-day Adventist and uh, discuss some of those uh, deviant doctrines that you are referencing, Pastor. But uh, this evening we're going to be discussing the Jehovah's Witness uh, movement, and I know that you'll be explaining from a scriptural standpoint uh, what where the Jehovah's Witness movement has varied away from scripture. Uh, let me just give the phone number real quick for if you have a question to WhatsApp or text, the phone number is one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. We really appreciate the interaction from you and we look forward to more interaction throughout the evening the time across the eastern caribbean is 8 12 and uh, pastor murphy did you have anything else to add on cults as a whole yeah, before we the other thing i would say when you're dealing with a cult uh, any cult any group that you think are having a deviant deviation of biblical truth uh you've got to target one thing at a time in other words, you don't discuss five doctrines at one time. Okay. If, it is, if it's a dispute about hell, let's deal with that in this first session. Uh, if it's a dispute about the person of Christ, his nature, his character, let's deal with Christ. The problem we make is that we try to get in a conversation, we try to cover too much material, and because it's not done extensively, we leave there having more noise than light. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you need to zero in with the cult. If we're going to have a conversation, let, let's discuss the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, and, and begin to trace that through the Bible to see if you get an understanding. Once you've got that clarity, then you move on to another another area. But that's the only way you'll be able to deal with it systematically. Otherwise, you end up in total confusion, going from one text to another, discussing five different topics and no settled agreement as to what the Bible teaches on a particular matter. So try to zero in on one particular matter and deal with that, and then uh, move on. So there's an importance to having structure. There must be some kind okay. of a structure. And then the other thing I might say, don't try to deal with a cult when they're, I mean, a group, a person, that where there are several people around, because everybody is trying to defend his, his, his ego and his pride. Try, if it's possible, to deal with the person alone or separately, because um, you hardly get in the way, even with witnessing, when you've got a group of people you're witnessing to. It's better to, if you can deal one-on-one, -on -one, because everybody's trying to defend, them, defend themselves in the process. The Jehovah's Witness movement, it's been around for a while. Uh, I think it's probably best that we just start 
from the beginning, from the historical standpoint, uh, what the context was and when it started and who it was that started it. Can you just walk us through those early years of the movement, Pastor? Well, the main person that started it um, basically was uh, Charles T. Russell. Uh, Russell was uh, belonging to a congregational church, also had some Presbyterian background. Uh, he found the doctrine of hell very offensive. And uh, because he found the doctrine of eternal uh, punishment offensive, he um, actually moved away from the congregational church and started his own Bible study. He started his Bible study when he was about uh, 18 years old. And out of this Bible study grew um, a group of people who turned around and called him pastor. Charles T. Russell was never ordained by any organization, period. Uh, it is just a small group that started calling him pastor that uh, led him to start this um, JW movement. Uh, he also used to work in a s small um, printing facility as an assistant editor. And he got away with the editor uh, about the doctrine of the atonement. And so he, he broke away from there and started the Watchtower um, uh, Group Society. And out of that, he started using the Watchtower as a publication to spin his particular doctrines so that it can disseminate that information, and it began uh, to grow. And uh, he also um, created the magazine, the Watchtower um, magazine and also the one called Awake magazine. Those are two magazines that they use. And I think the movement has grown to a point where he himself was totally surprised how it took off. And then he did a series of six volumes called The Studies in the Scriptures, uh, written between 1886 and 1904. Um, so all of his ideas and doctrines were actually put into this, 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 particular, this particular book. Now, I would like to say a few things about him because the character of a person is significant, especially when you claim to be some religious icon and to be the sole voice of God that God is using. I think it, it, the character of the person um, comes up to be examined. Uh, Christ said, by your fruit you should know them. Uh, we should be fruit inspectors. When people make claims uh, to be uniquely gifted of God or called by God or to be the, the main channel through which God speaks, uh, I think it's legitimate and right that we should be able to examine their life to see if their life falls in line with the, the claim to spirituality. Um, uh, he was not ordained. Um, he did some very unethical things that um, is documented. You can get the court records of them today if you want them. Um, one of the things that he did, of course, is that he registered the organization under a holding company and he had 99.9% um, .9 of the shares, and two other people, members, had uh, just 1% of the shares, basically. Um, so which means that he had total control. All revenue was coming through to him. Now, that was only discovered later, but he actually created this holding company uh, so that revenue that poured in from the sale of whatever came to him, basically. Uh, the other thing that is unethical thing that is known about him is the um, selling what is called special wheat, supposed to be five times growing better than other wheat, and the price he was expecting was an exorbitant price at the time. He was taken to court, uh, 
Sounds like a con man. <laughs> and the government was called in, really, to examine the wheat because it's supposed to be miracle wheat. Yeah. It was discovered there was nothing significant about it. There was a big scandal about that. And then, um, of course, um, the, the Maddie's wife divorced him years later, and she was granted alimony. Uh, later, in a case that was brought against him, he denied his wife had divorced him and denied that he was given. And then, under court, on the court, he was a premeditated perjurer, basically. Uh, he had to admit that his wife had divorced him and she was given alimony. And then, uh, Reverend Ross, a Baptist preacher, uh, wrote an article about him saying that he knew no theology, he had no background. Saying that Russell didn't know yeah, theology. Yeah, didn't, didn't know any theology, that he was a scam, basically. He took Ross to court. And uh, denied uh, Ross charges. Ross said he didn't. He didn't have. He didn't have any university education. He didn't have any background in theology, background in Greek or Hebrew. He took Ross to court, and of course, this really got embarrassed in court because uh, when asked if he knew Greek, he said he knew Greek. And then what the lawyer did was to present a book with the Greek alphabet and ask him, "Could you read the Greek alphabet?" Then he had to admit. He didn't know any Greek. All of this is documented, by the way. It's not something that um, anybody who is a Jehovah's Witness can get this information. It's all documented on scripts, transcribed, etc., etc. So he's a very, very shady character in terms of uh, deliberate, premeditated perjury uh, he's practicing. Um, but uh, the thing about Russell um, is that he was also a, a person who wrote a lot of books, and that helped to spread the, uh, the doctrines. But all of the basic doctrines that the the, um, the JW hold to today are from Russell. Whether so if be, you took Russell out of the JW movement, it wouldn't exist? Correct. Okay. Such as, uh, for example, the matter of um, there's no hell, believe in soul sleep, uh, Jesus is a God but not God, the denial of the Trinity, the denial of the biblical atonement, uh, as a matter of fact, there is denial of the Holy Spirit as a person, that is a, a force, a thing, a it, whatever it is. The thing about the, the, the JW is that it is known for denying all the major doctrines of the Bible. And Russell, basically, uh, the second coming of Christ, again, denial that Christ is coming back visibly, denial of the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of these are doctrines that the uh, the JW hold to today that were originally uh, pro uh, propounded by, by, by Russell. So he is a main character uh, as far as the, the, the Adventist is concerned. The other thing I'd like to say about him, he only had a seventh grade education. Uh, and um, the, the, the truth of the matter is he dropped out of school when he was only 14 years old. Here's a man who has come on the scene and taken all the major Orthodox Christian doctrines, completely undermined them, uh, gone contrary to them, etc., etc., and started a movement with all of these strange, deviant doctrines. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a phenomenal thing that a person without any background in theology and Greek or Hebrew is able to start a movement that's become such glo such a global organization, and today the 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 damage that's been done uh, through this man's teaching being made so well known to the world, uh, it has caught people in darkness and uh, people who find it difficult to even embrace Christian doctrine because they've already imbibed and taken in this this false teaching. So he's creating a major crisis for the, the Christian church in terms of his teaching. Would you say that there's a spiritual realm to this, that there, the one reason that uh, 
that the JW movement has gone as far as it is, and I don't want people to take this out of context, but is because Satan is using uh, this false religion or this cult and is feeding it in order to cause more confusion? Behind every false religion is an infernal spirit. Okay. Remember that this battle started in the book of Genesis where God said, and he came around and said, did God say? Question what God said. And then he perverted it by contradicting, uh, God did not say you would surely die. So that's where the battle started, and that battle continues. Uh, every single false religion you find today behind that is an infernal spirit who is trying to undermine the, the credibility and the truthfulness of Scripture. That's where the battle lies. So when you find a lot of these groups uh, going away from Scripture, you can mark it down that behind a lot of this deviant teaching and deviant doctrine is one who is bent on undermining the truth and uh, co- correct, as you said. Uh, 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 to, to support that, by the way, you go into the book of Thessalon- uh, Timothy and the book of Peter, where Paul talks about doctrine of demons in the last days, men heaping themselves, teaching, having itching ears, people going away from the faith, they'd be falling away. All of this is in harmony with what the Bible teaches. Matthew chapter 24, the key word in Matthew chapter 24 is the word deceive and deception. And our Lord said it were possible even the very elect would be deceived because in the end time, the key thing is deception. Thank you to those of you that have joined us on Facebook Live this evening. We have a question, Pastor, that's come via Facebook Live. Is it true that there are similarities between the Jehovah's Witness and Adventist doctrines? That is correct. As a matter of fact, uh, Russell associated with the Adventists before he broke away from them, right? But that is why they have a lot of them have similar doctrines, like the, the, the matter of um, soul sleep. The matter of there's not be not be a uh, eternal hell uh, that you be annihilated. All of those are doctrines that were borrowed out of Adventism. The idea of the second coming. Uh, the difference is that Russell said that um, Christ returned in invisible form. Right. Uh, the Adventist was teaching that the Lord will return in 1934. Uh, I think 33, 1833, yeah, and then when the Lord did not return, um, uh, the date was changed, 1834. The Lord still did not return. And the advent was, was over, completely over. Russell, I mean, um, Miller. Uh, Miller left the movement. He admitted he'd made a mistake. His calculation was wrong. But then it was a guy, Hiram, that saved the day. He's going across a field, and he sees in a vision that Jesus leaves the Holy of Holies in heaven, holy place, and going to the Holy of Holies, the two compartments. And uh, that's where they said then this movement started, uh, the, the doctrine of what is called the investigative judgment started. But he saved the day. Had he not had that purported vision, Adventist was over because they had said that Christ. But so Christ did not return in 1834 to earth. What he did, he, he moved from the holy place in the heavenly sanctuary to the holy of holy place. So what he's been doing all this time is investigating. Okay, So there are similarities between the uh, the two groups because there was a, a, a um, Russell was part of the group for a period of time, and then he broke away. So there are some elements of truth in that in that respect. So you find when it comes to the return of Christ and uh, soul sleep and uh, the fact that there's no hell, those are common teachings that they hold 
uh, among themselves. So there's a, there is a there is a link between them. The time across the Eastern Caribbean is eight twenty six. If you have a question for Pastor Murphy, you can call one two six eight four six two seventy four twenty, or you can send your WhatsApp or text question to one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. Or if you are joining us via Facebook Live, you can just send your question as a comment, and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. Pastor, anything else you'd like to mention yeah, about well, after Russell? Yeah, Russell, um, you have um, Judge Rutherford. Um, the thing about him is that he was a legal counsel for uh, Russell and the the um, Watchtower Group. He's the one that defended him in a lot of these cases, so he knew Russell quite well, quite frankly. Um, but he was a a, a brilliant mind, man who was a very competent orator, and a person that, uh, very private, uh, uh, nonetheless, but a person who had the capacity to write extensively. As a matter of fact, uh, he wrote over a hundred books and pamphlets, a prolific writer, and again, that helped to, to spread the, the, the doctrine. He's also the one that gave the um, the, the sorry, this, the Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witness, the, the title Jehovah's Witness, using uh, Isaiah chapter 43 and verse number 10. Uh, in 1933, at a convention in Columbus, Ohio, he's the one that cited Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10, that uh, you should be my witnesses. And so he's the one that actually, that's where they got the name from. Um, the other thing uh, about him is that he did a lot to establish the authority of the Adventist, of the, I'm calling it the JW, uh, a lot uh, to, to establish it as a, a kind of a uh, um, theocratic society. Uh, he did a lot to establish that. Because I don't know if you know this, uh, they believe that Christ uh, is ruling on earth from 1914 and that he's ruling from the headquarters there in New York, basically where the headquarters are and that he is the one. In other words, he's ruling through the Watchtower Society, and that's why they believe that they're the only ones, really. There's no salvation outside the JW as far as they're concerned. Every church is totally corrupt. Uh, uh, so they're the ones that God has raised up in this end time to salvage the human race. But uh, Christ is ruling since 1914 through them. He did not return. to. Uh, he returned invisibly, uh, and he's ruling right now on the kingdom of God here on planet Earth through the Jehovah's Witness Society. That's what they believe. Uh, so, and then after Rutherford, there was a guy called uh, Nathan Carr. Uh, he um, is the one that started the Gillian uh, Missionary Training School and really was responsible for the expansion of the JW in terms of numbers. Uh, very, very... Um, major player in terms of expanding the the influence of the JW. So he was, if I'm thinking right, he was right before that 1914 date of the prediction, so there was a real push to draw people in. Was that a, is that correct? No, I just think that he had organizational skills. Okay. That uh, Remember, Rutherford is mainly a prolific writer, okay. a great speaker, 
but a, a recluse to some extent. People mm-hmm. said he avoided publicity to some extent. But this guy um, um, seemed to have had a much wider influence. And the fact that he started a lot of training, because he's the one that started the Gillian missionary trainings. So out of his training, people how to uh, do missionary work. This led to an expansion uh, of the movement. And then the other one after him was a guy called Frederick Franz. Um, uh, he became the president, and it's under him, really, to the fact that the Watchtower uh, started the uh, New World Translation. He's the one that mm. was pretty much headed up uh, that. And uh, that in itself is a phenomenal accomplishment. Uh, but again, it is one of the most perverted versions of the Scripture translation. And there's no credible Greek or Hebrew scholar today that would endorse that. They're all considered to be a travesty of a translation. But that um, is now translated in 27 language, and over 143 million copies have been made. Uh, but it was under him. And then there's another, after him came Milton Henschel, um, didn't do much, became president at 72. Um, uh, but that's a summary, basically, of where the the advent, I mean, the JW. That's a little bit of the history. All right. Um, we, you're listening to That's Truth, and the time across the Eastern Caribbean is 832. Uh, the voice that you hear answering these questions is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy. He is the pastor of Grace Baptist Church here in Antigua. Are you in Antigua and you're looking for a good Bible-preaching church to attend? Let me encourage you to visit Grace Baptist Church in Gambles, Antigua. Grace is the church that Pastor Murphy pastors, and it is located on Roan Henry Street in Gambles. Sunday school is at 9 a.m. on Sundays. Uh, the morning service is at 10 a.m. and the evening service at 7 p.m. Also on Thursdays at 7 p.m. there is prayer and Bible study. Again, we're not trying to pull you away from your church if it's a Bible preaching church. But if you don't have a Bible preaching church and you're in Antigua, we would love for you to come visit Grace Baptist Church. Pastor Murphy, we have another caller calling from Antigua. Go ahead. Hello. Good evening. How are you doing? Well, um, I just want to put in a quick question because I don't have a lot of money on my phone. So, um, yeah, go ahead. Right. Um, who is Kirsten? This is um, this is Brother Nathan and uh, Pastor Murphy. But go ahead with your question. Okay. Um, what I want to say now, um, both the Catholic and them with my with my Holy Mary and your Holy Mary. Uh-huh. And Jesus, Mother. Yeah. I want to put in a, a question. Sure. Don't you think the the um, ministers and them is treating her unfair with whatever they're going about um, with this Holy Mary they're telling? The ministers and them say that Mary is dead and she can't do nothing for you. Mm-hmm. Don't you think they're treating her unfair? Because if she is in heaven and she is in heaven, heavenly people are supposed to can hear anybody's prayers, whatever they be. So are you, you, are, are you telling me or are you asking? Well, I'm telling you and still asking you. Okay. So, um, what do you think about it? Well, 
I am locked into the scriptures. I can only tell you what the Bible teaches. No prayer should be directed to anybody else but God. I don't care if it is Peter or Paul or Mary or whatever. No prayer is ever directed to anybody other than God. The reason why uh, the Catholic Church teach that is because they believe that there's a repository of grace. They have a treasure of grace that um, the saints have had extra grace, so therefore they've got a pool of grace that they can now draw on. So you can call on St. Peter or St. Andrew or whatever because he had more grace than he needs, and the right. church can dispense that to you. That is not scriptural. You can't yeah, find that in the Bible. You can't. Um, go ahead. Okay, I can't hear you too well on my phone because my phone is kind of okay. acting up to me, right? Uh -huh. But um, I just want to put in that so that um, the rest passes and then nobody We cut it now because I used to be out of churches before now. Uh -huh. And then after I come back into this cottage now, I find that um, they're cheating uh, on here because people are saying that how we are saying prayers to maybe. Um, to forgive sin and so we're not doing that we Catholic we recognize she as the most important woman of our woman the mother of our righteous woman and that was we recognize we recognize she because she is a woman that we believe that if we say praise to her she can pass it on to to her son and his son But may I ask you a question? May I ask you a question? Where is that in the Bible? It's not there. You have nobody praying to Mary in the Bible. And there's no need to pray to Mary. Jesus Christ became a man, suffered, endured. He's a now a sympathizing high priest. That's why he became a man. So, Hello? We're not praying. We're asking her to do things for us. So what is that? To her son. To her son. Is that not yeah. a prayer? Sir, what I'm saying to you is that you cannot find anywhere in Scripture, anywhere in Scripture, if you can prove one verse in Scripture where you're ever told to direct yeah. any, any request to Mary, all requests yeah. goes to Jesus. All you requests goes to the you Father. Can find a scripture. You can find a scripture that pertains into that. Remember, remember is the mother that do the first miracle for Jesus when they was... No, she didn't, know the, she didn't do the first miracle. She was at the she was at the the wedding, and they ran out of wine, well, and uh, she came to Jesus, and he said to her, "Woman, my hour has not yet come." And yet he did, he performed a miracle of blessing upon there, but he she is not responsible for that. He voluntarily did it of his own will to manifest his glory. Had nothing to do with Mary begging him, and therefore he 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 uh, he, he coalescing or he agreeing. That had nothing to do with Mary at all. It had to do with the fact that here he is, the Son of God, and he's manifesting his glory at that point in time, showing that clearly he's he's the Creator. He can the turn son, water the into. Son, the way said Mary is the Son of God. Mary's what? When you say little while that Mary is the Son of God? No, I never said that. I said that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Yeah, and Mary his mother. Yeah, but she's the mother of his humanity, not of his deity. She's only the mother of his flesh, not of his not of his the the, the fact of his divinity. But uh, what he got you with uh, with Rishi and um, his husband when they were trying to kill she and so because they want to kill the baby and kill them. You All these things that she has to go through and um, she know she has to um, she have something inside her that she must protect. And she never know that he wanted the time he see the death. I feel so bad and so I protect you. And she she bear all them pain. They never give up. 
and she bring him on earth. Yes, and but now when she bring him on earth, now we think that we supposed to yeah. acknowledge her because she is a mother. Yeah, we we acknowledge her. We acknowledge her by saying that she was the mother of Christ. We acknowledge her, but we don't we don't adore her. We don't worship her. We don't pray to her. There's no need for that. Okay. okay. All right. Thank okay. you for the call, Codrington. And uh, we're going to cover the Catholic Church at some point in the future as we're doing this series of different religions and comparing them to Scripture. So I really appreciate you calling and asking those questions. And stay tuned to the Radio Lighthouse because we will be discussing the Catholic Church in the future. Uh, Pastor Murphy, during that call, we had a WhatsApp message that came in from Liberta Antigua. Thank you to the individual who sent it. Is it true that Ellen G. White and her husband and Russell were members of a secret society? You're doing a very good job on the program, Pastor. Well, I, I am not privy to that. I, I, all I would say to you is that uh, this, this today, I'm really focusing on the JW. I, I will come to the Adventists. I've read extensively on the Adventists, and I now need to do some more in preparation to deal, talking with the Adventists. Same thing when I deal with the, when we talk about the Catholic, we deal with Baha'i faith, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but I am not, uh, I cannot say that I have that knowledge. I've not read that. Uh, but I do know there's a very strong association between Russell and the Adventist movement. That is why some of the commonalities that you find in both groups are there because they're linked by the historical interaction between Russell and uh, some of the, the SDA group. But I will check that out and try to confirm uh, that um, if you have information that you can probably text me or send it to me where you found that information. I'd be more than willing to to, to check it up and search it and, and try to confirm it. Yeah, or if you send it to the Lighthouse, we'll pass it along to Pastor Murphy. Thank L you. Can I, can I just Go say ahead. something? I, I hope that the public doesn't get the information that we're here to to, to undermine uh, ministries and stuff. That's not the purpose. The purpose is we're trying to get people to understand that uh, there are religious groups that are teaching doctrines that are contrary to the established orthodox teaching of Christianity. And it's important for us because we are in a truth war. Whether we know it or not, we are in a truth war. And we have to stand up for biblical truth. And not everybody, not every movement is teaching biblical truth. And we're concerned that the public at least be able to have the information to make sound judgments in respect to these matters. Pastor, in relation to the Jehovah's Witness movement, uh, anything else that you'd like to mention in relation to the historical aspect before we look at particular aspects of the movement? All I would, all I would say is that the, the movement has grown phenomenally uh, from a very small group. Now you have over 7 uh, million JW all over the world. Uh, their New World Translation has been um, published, and um, uh, I forgot how many languages. Um, it's 190, uh, I think I read. Okay. I'll look that up and And I, I know that the uh, how many copies, uh, millions of copies have been made. So they are doing a very, very, uh, an extensive job in terms of getting their message across. And, and the membership is, is growing. As a matter of fact, they are now the, the second largest uh, American cultic group. The first one is the Mormons. Huh. They're the fastest growing, and be behind them are the JW right now. So they're the second fastest growing group in terms of the American coming from American religion. So this is for the Watchtower information in relation to the Watchtower. There's 42 million copies that are printed every month, 
and that is more than double any other magazine in the United States uh, or in the world, for that matter, and it's translated into over 190 languages each month, so a very influential uh, resource. Because of that, uh, Nathan, I want to, um, if I may continue, uh, to deal with this New World Translation yeah. Uh, because it is being published so extensively, um, they're expanding uh, uh, all over the world, etc. Uh, I would like to um, say a few things about that translation. Uh, first of all, none of the people on the translation committee, made up of seven of them, none of them, none of them knew either Hebrew or Greek. Okay, absolutely none of them. How are you going to translate a Bible which was written in both Greek and Hebrew? from the Greek and the Hebrew, and you don't understand either the Greek language or the Hebrew language. This is why um, that translation, uh, there's not a notable, credible Greek or Hebrew scholar any part of the world that would endorse that as an authentic uh, Bible translation. They all labeled it as a distortion and a perversion. And this has to do with reputable uh, scholars who have examined the book itself, the translation, and have come to these conclusions. I want to share with you um, some of those conclusions of some of the, the scholars, what they've said about the, the translation. For example, uh, Dr. Julius Mantley, um, he's a guy that wrote Intermediate Greek that you study in every, every, every theological seminar you're going to. It's called the Manual of Greek Grammar. He spent um, 65 years studying Greek. He has a PhD and a DD. Uh, he was the professor of New Testament at Northern uh, Baptist Seminary. He's also the author of a Hellenistic uh, Greek uh, reader. Uh, this is what he said uh, about the JW New World Translation. He said, I haven't read any translation that is as diabolical and damnable as a JW so-called translation. It's a distortion of the New Testament. He also went on to say, I've never read a New Testament so badly translated as the kingdom interlinear translation of the Greek scriptures. He said it's a distortion of the New Testament. The translators use what um, J.B. Rotherham has translated in 1893 in modern speech and changed the reading in scores of places to, uh, to suit the Jehovah's Witness belief, uh, and they teach distortion. It's a distortion and not a translation. That is a Greek scholar of 65 years uh, with two degrees, um, PhD, yet his conclusion is that this is a complete distortion, a complete uh, farce, basically. Bruce Metzer, a former professor of New Testament languages at Princeton Theological Seminary, and the author of the textbook, the New Testament, uh, the text of the New Testament. Uh, this is what he said about that writing. He said the JW have incorporated in their translation of the New Testament several erroneous readings of the Greek language. That is his uh, assessment of it. Um, and then Dr. Robert Contes. Um, who wrote his, did his dissertation on the New World Translation written by the, for his PhD. This is what he said. It's a radically biased piece of work, 
At some point, it is actually dishonest. At others, uh, others, it is neither modern nor scholarly. And interwoven throughout its fabric is an inconsistent application of its own principles enunciated uh, in the forward to the appendix of the book. And then the British scholar H.A. Rowley, he said, from beginning to the end, this volume is a shining example of how the Bible should not be translated. It's an insult uh, to the Word of God. William Barclay, uh, most people would know him from the uh, Daily Bible Studies. This is his assessment. The deliberate distortion of truth by the set as seen in their New World translation, it is abundantly clear that a set which can translate the New Testament like this is intellectually dishonest. We could use other quotations, but the point I'm making here that there's not a credible uh, Greek scholar or Hebrew scholar that would endorse the translation of the New World, this New World translation by the, the, by the JW. Uh, they have not only injected their own words, their own meaning, they've ignored grammar, they've ignored syntax, they've igno- ignored the meaning of words, etc. Uh, they have added uh, the scripture, and uh, as a result, uh, it is really not a uh, proper interp- uh, translation is actually a distortion. That needs to be made very, very clear uh, for people who have copies of it or people who will actually buy it, understand that you don't have a legitimate translation, you have a distortion, you have a perversion. If we were to compare it, and I'm not looking for a specific number, but compare it to the King James, uh, I know John 1.1, 1, 1, uh, there's a difference in that passage. Do they change a lot of verses throughout, or is it just a few verses in the Bible? Oh, they change tremendous amount of verses in the okay. Bible. Not only that, they they, uh, they add words to the Bible that change the complete meaning of the text. And that's why you've got to understand the context of wherever the passage is. You can, you can put a word in a passage and change the complete meaning of it because it doesn't fall in line with the context. They are known, they're notorious for that. Not only that, they have, they have given their own definition to Greek words. Uh, it, it's amazing. And again, there is not a scholar that would endorse a lot of their words that they use and their interpretation of how those words are used. But again, they have a theology that they bring to the scriptures in their in, in their translation, and they inject their theology into the scriptures. And if they have to change a word here, or alter words here, or give a redefinition of a word, they would do it. It's a very very dishonest translation, and it's not credible. And not one of them knew either Greek or Hebrew, but yet they're supposed to be translating from Greek and Hebrew and uh, putting it into English. It's a farce. We have about nine minutes left in the program, and I don't know if there's enough time to cover this particular aspect, but what do the JWs believe about Jesus Christ? Basically, this is what they believe. Number one, they believe that Jesus Christ is not—they don't believe in the Trinity, so therefore he's not God. He is a God. Now, what that means is something we need to discuss, because if the Bible says there's only one God, only one true God, and there's a verse that says that, if there's only one true God and Jesus is a God, what does that make him a false God then? It can't be. If there's one true God and he is a God, yeah. there's a conflict there. They don't even even see the, 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 the logic of what they're saying. They teach that Jesus Christ was Michael the archangel before he came to earth. And then um, he became a man. And then when he was raised again from the dead, he once again was restored to 
be the spirit, Michael, the the, the, the spirit. So, uh, Archangel. So he is, he's not God's the son. He is a God. He's Michael the Archangel, and he's not. Um, he's not equal with God the Father. He is a creature made by God, the first creature that God made, and then God used him to create every all other creation. So th- those are the the errors of the jo- Jehovah's Witness in terms of Jesus Christ. I was I went to their website jw.org because I wanted to see what the organization as a whole has on their official site, and they make the statement that, uh, yes, we believe in Jesus, and they list a bunch of verses. They say, however, we take Jesus at his word, and when he said, the Father is greater than I am, John fourteen twenty eight. so we do not worship Jesus as we do not believe that he is the Almighty God. How would you respond to that? Well, there are two things I would say about that very quickly. Number one, uh, Jesus was worshipped in the New Testament. Um, there are people who fell down and worship him. Uh, we'll deal with that at some point in time. He accepted worship. Uh, when um, Thomas, who was absent, when he finally realized Jesus was raised from the dead, he said, my Lord and my God, and he fell down and worshiped him. So clearly, uh, Christ accepted worship. Now, if Christ accepted worship and he wasn't God, uh, that impugns his character. So we'll come to that at some point in time. But in terms of him saying that... Uh, God is the Father is greater than He is. I mean, that is easily understood. According to Philippians chapter two, when Christ became a man and put the form of man, He divested Himself of His glory, basically. So clearly, in the position of uh, when He was on Earth, He is not only God; He's the God Man, and He submitted Himself. Read Philippians. He became a servant. So clearly, in His role as the God Man. He lives under the the will of the Father because he came to fulfill the Father. But it has nothing to do with his greater in nature. Uh, that has nothing to do because he's of the same nature. But clearly, in terms of position, he's now assumed the role of a servant. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. So we don't have a problem with that when he said the Father is greater than me. Of course, as a God-man, he's subservient to the Father's will. He now lives under the Father's will. So therefore, in that role, positionally, the Father is greater than He. But when it comes to uh, the matter of, of, of character or nature or substance, He's of the same substance. So we don't have a problem understanding the fact. The problem with Jehovah's Witness is that they don't see Jesus as a God-man. Okay. In other words, they don't believe in the, 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 the incarnation. They believe that Jesus was a man, not that He was God who became man. So therefore, they cannot understand that He has this dual role, see. Uh, but if you understand the God-man and Christ submitting under the 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 the, the, um, the fulfilling God's will and becoming a servant to die the death of the cross, positionally, no, he is there uh, living in the will of the Father to fulfill His will of, of, of redeeming mankind. So we don't have a problem um, understanding what our Lord meant by that. Where they have a problem is that they don't understand that you're dealing with the God-man because there's no God-man; it's just a man, Jesus. For us as believers, because Christ has now assumed the role of a man, that is why sometimes he thirsts. Other times he has so much power he could change the, make the winds obey his voice. One moment he's, he's acting in his role in man, another moment he's acting in his role as, as, as divine. But you notice in every case where he uses divine power, it's never to help himself. He's always helped somebody else. He lived as he wanted us to live, independent of the Holy Spirit. But when it came to performing miracles for others, he did it, but not for himself. So there's no problem in, in, in differentiating between the fact that our Lord could say that, 
we understand what he means by that because he is now in a role as the God-man, and therefore the Father is greater than he in that capacity, positionally. So as a Bible-believing Christian, and if I'm in a discussion with a Jehovah's Witness and the topic of Jesus comes up, what are some key things uh, that you would say that I need to take a stand on when, in order to make sure that I'm not sacrificing key doctrines in relation to Jesus Christ? The first thing you have to establish is who Jesus is. Okay. So you have to show them that Jesus Christ is God the Son. Now here's where the Jehovah's Witnesses get confused. They are wondering if we say that Jesus is God, they're saying, but wait a minute, uh, they ask a question, so if Jesus was God and, uh, and God died, if Jesus is God and God died, where was, who ran the world? Oh, you see, okay, I see. Th- th- yeah. those are, those are, I mean, <laughs> so they, they don't have the concept, they don't understand that when we talk about the Trinity, we're not saying that Jesus is the Father, we're not saying that Jesus is the Spirit, that's not the thing we're saying. Because we said there's one God. We believe that there's one being God expressed in three persons. Mm-hmm. But that's not how they understand it. They understand that when we say that Jesus is God, we say that Jesus is the Father. So we, they, they've got a confusion of identity going on there. And that's why they say that the most bizarre doctrine is about the Trinity. So I think when you're dealing with Christ, you've got to go through the Bible and uh, show why the Christian church believes that Jesus Christ is God the Son, that He's of the same nature as the Father. He's not the Father, but of the same nature as the Father. That has to be established, that He is God in the flesh, that He is divine. Uh, and there are several passages that come to mind. John chapter 1, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, and the Word was God. See, Now again, they're confused there, uh, because they're saying that there's no definite article before theos, and uh, therefore they're saying that that's why they translate a God. But they're missing the whole point. Uh, when it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word is thotios, that's the Father. That's why it said, and the Word was God, the Word was deity of the same nature as the Father. But if it had, had it put uh, the, the definite article before theos, they'd be saying that Jesus was the Father. That's why John could not put the definite article before Theos, because he's talking about the nature of Christ. By the way, this is a grammatical principle that the Jehovah has completely ignored. There is not a scholar, a Greek scholar today, that would support the translation of John chapter 1, verse 1 in uh, the, the, the New World Translation. Not one Bible scholar would establish a uh, biblical scholar or a Greek scholar. They all say that if they only would follow the the Greek grammar and what is meant by that using not using the article it would become very very clear that uh, John's translation is correct but I think you have to establish that the other thing is Philippians chapter 2 which says that he did not consider equality with God something to be held onto but made himself of no reputation so that's proving that he is equal yeah, with he, God that's, that's the point yeah. he, and what we mean by that he's equal in nature Right, uh, with God. He's of the same nature, the same substance. And that's where the confusion comes in. And uh, unless you have a grasp of understanding the biblical doctrine of the Trinity, you always have confusion with the Jehovah's Witness. So the first thing to deal with that, you've got to go through and show them what are the biblical, biblical base uh, for believing that Jesus Christ is of the same nature as the Father, that He is 
not just divine, but he's deity. Okay, mm-hmm. that has to be established. And there are several ways you can do that. There are Bible verses, but then you also have to you can show them that he has the same attributes as the Father. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. Um, you can show he's called eternal in the book of um, Micah. Uh, so you can show that he got eternality, that he's immutable. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever. All the attributes that make God God are identified in Jesus Christ. I came across this quote, and this is a quote from a Jehovah's Witness. It says, The concept of the Trinity is incomprehensible and hence cannot be correct, putting logic above the, the teachings of God's Word. Thank you for joining us for this episode of That's Truth. We really appreciate it and hope look forward to your interaction in future episodes. Next week on That's Truth, be sure you join us. We'll be picking up where we left off, discussing the Jehovah's Witness movement and comparing their beliefs to those of Scripture. How do they compare to Scripture? Be sure you join us again and invite others to join us next week here on That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from Antigua. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.